Thanks for listening to our podcast. Before we begin, let me tell you quickly about Peterson Toyota, who is the largest dealership in Northern Colorado, and they've been doing it for 50 years. They have the best selection at the best prices, and their staff will help you find the car or truck that is right for you. Stop in and ask for General Manager Mike Kroos, who is a CSU alum, diehard fan, and a great partner to RamNation.com. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please give Peterson Toyota first shot at your business. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Ram Nation Radio. Hope everybody out there in Ramland is doing well. I am Joel Cantalamessa, joined by Mike Rowe. We are fully entrenched in no man's land now. We have no football, no hoops to speak of. Uh, so that's a bummer, but I'm glad that the warmer months are here. I'm glad we're climbing out of the pandemic, getting back to normal. It'll be a good summer. Looking forward to that. And uh, leading into the fall where I'm, I'm expecting an exciting uh, football season. I think there's some reason to be optimistic. Uh, going forward, just a programming note, probably won't be recording podcasts each week through the summer. We'll look to maybe come on a couple times a month, get some good guests on during that time. You know, if uh, we may go one a month, none a month, <laughs> we'll just see how it goes. We'll see how guests uh, line up and, and see if there's good stuff to talk about. But uh, today we've got a great guest coming on, former wideout from the 2002 to 2005 seasons. David Anderson is going to be joining us. Really looking forward to that conversation here in a few minutes. Before that, there's been a couple of things that have happened since we last recorded. The Rams hired a new basketball coach, Talvin Hester from Louisiana Tech, who then didn't last very long. Uh, I don't even think he was here a week before he left for Texas Tech. I guess if the Big 12 comes calling, uh, then we're out of luck. So uh, that happened. But reports are this week that the Rams have now hired Brian Cooley from Wright State. He coached under head coach there, Scott Nagy, for four years. And then previously with Coach Nagy at South Dakota State for four years. So the Rams still have one spot to fill those two vacancies that were left by J.R. Blunt and Dave Thorson. So we'll see who fills that that final vacancy there. The Rams hoops team is also bringing in a transfer in Baylor Hebb. He was a top 25 recruit out of Colleyville High School in Texas in, 20, in the 2019-2020 season. Uh, he played sparingly for Loyola Chicago, but this coaching staff is really high on him. Uh, they, they recruited him out of high school. They knew him well. And uh, when, it, when he entered the portal, Coach Medved and, and staff went after him. And, and I know we're all looking for that uh, stretch four kind of player and uh, someone to give us a presence inside. But uh, when you get a guy like this that the coaching staff likes, they, they, they went after him. So we'll see what happens from here on out. But uh, we also have uh, an addition in football. Uh, Coach Adazio added Boston College quarterback transfer Matt Vilecki, who in uh, – I guess he'll be a redshirt sophomore. He's got three years of eligibility. He appeared in only six games at BC, mostly in garbage time. So it's tough to tell, you know, what, what he will bring to the table. Uh, but I do know that he will bring competition. He'll bring depth in the quarterback room, which is important. So right now you had Todd Centeo. Uh, you have a, a walk-on. You've got a couple of freshmen that were in, in camp in the spring. Uh, so they needed another body. They needed a guy that could push Todd Centale. It doesn't sound like from any of the conversations that I've had or have heard uh, related, related to the quarterback situation that the two young guys that were in camp, the two quarterbacks, the two true freshmen who enrolled early, 
doesn't sound like they're really realistically going to push for a starting role there. Uh, so you bring in a guy who does, who has played some college football. He's been in a program for, for uh, this will be his third year now. So um, hopefully he does push that quarterback position and bring, uh, bring something to the competition and elevates the, the play there. Uh, one other note is uh, I saw that uh, Senior Cerveza on the message boards uh, mentioned that there was the border war from uh, last fall, last November, available on YouTube and uh, reminded me that I still have that on my DVR. And it's funny, it's one of the few games that I have on my DVR, which is sad because I, I record every single game the Rams play and then I record them. I'll, I'll download them. I, I used to download them all to VHS and now DVD or, or whatnot. But um, I probably, I, I've kept all the best games that I've ever watched, you know, and throughout my history of being a Ram fan. Uh, but in the last five years, I've probably kept maybe five of those games total. It's just been a, it's just been a pathetic era these last five, five years or so and, and beyond even. Uh, but I watched that, that game and, and, and I watched that Wyoming border war game and, and the way that the defense played in that game, I, I think they're going to be even better than they were last year. I'm just excited. That's one thing that gives me some optimism for the fall, you know, good defense can set the tone, can make all the difference in a program. You know, if that offense can run the ball a little bit, be somewhat efficient on offense, minimize turnovers. I think this defense can actually win us some games, you know, they have to figure out how to put up some points, but you know, just in that game alone, you know, a couple key turnovers early, I think in the first two possessions that Wyoming had, one was a pick, pick six on the opening possession, uh, which definitely set the tone. Uh, and then uh, a fumble recovery on the next possession that led to a touchdown as well. So um, I, I'm very excited to watch how this defense um, evolves here after, with that at least four games under their belt last year and some of these new components that have come in and, and showed in, in just four games that they are formidable. Um, so uh, before we bring in our guest today, let me encourage you to treat yourself to Mighty River Brewing Company. They have 15 beers on tap, including the Chili River. It's one of their collab beers with Matador Mexican Grill in Fort Collins. It's a strawberry jalapeno ale. Really, really good. I was enjoying that during our last podcast. Uh, you can enjoy that and all their other beers for $5 on Mondays and Tuesdays. And uh, the rest of the week, they've got food trucks regularly. Uh, they've got music on weekends. Just stop in and say hi to Dan Miller. He's a longtime Ram Nationer, a great CSU Ram fan. And don't forget to show Ram Nation on your phone when you're there and get a dollar off your beers. So support these guys, great guys. It's a great business, great beer, great atmosphere. You will love it. You will not be disappointed. All right, let's bring in former CSU wide receiver David Anderson. He was inducted into the CSU Hall of Fame in 2017 after a great career. From 2002 to 2005, he set the school record for receiving yards, 3,634, which lasted until 2015. He also held the school record for receptions in a season until 2014. I guess it was Rashard Higgins that that yeah. broke that. You're number one in school history with 10 re touchdown receptions in a season in 2003. Uh, you were an all-conference wide receiver twice. You led the Mountain West in receptions both in 2003-2005. You were part of that conference championship team in, in uh, 2002. That's 19 years ago, by the way, man. I can't believe that's the last one we've had. 
he was selected seventh in uh, in the seventh round of the 2006 NFL draft by the Houston. Texans. I wish it was seventh. Come on now, seven, let's seven pump it up. Good, huh? <laughs> seventh overall pick. Seventh overall. David cost you a lot of money to get State. me on this podcast if I was seventh. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we'd be hitting you up for some cash right now. Uh, so, uh, spent six years uh, before ending your pro career. Uh, you had a stint uh, with, with the Broncos and with Washington, played 67 games in the NFL. Now you're back home in California, founded and uh, co-founded a sports and tech lab called Breakaway Data, helps sports properties, athletes, teams, associations understand and incorporate monetized data and technology. Uh, so we'll ask you more about that. But Dave, I know you're busy. I know you got a meeting to run to here in a little bit, but great to have you. Thanks for joining us and squeezing us in. Moved it around. We got to talk some Ram football. I've been missing this. Uh, I, I definitely uh, haven't been uh, as up to date with the program lately as, as, as I want to be with all the coaching changes and things going on, but excited to talk some Ram football and catch up with you fellas. We're excited to have you. Yeah, man. Yeah. Really excited. You bring us back to the good old days of Ram football. What, what have you been up to lately? Tell me about uh, your company and what you guys do, first of all. Yeah, so let's see. After uh, Fort Fun... Just like you mentioned, had a nice stint in the NFL, which I actually got to uh, live and enjoy professional life with some other Rams, Joel Dreesen, Mike Brizel, Bradley Van Pelt. I have some great Cecil Sapp, Cecil Sapp in the NFL stories if, if, we, have, if we have nine hours to talk. Um, and then uh, finished uh, ball, went back to graduate school um, and got my MBA in data science. Uh, I, I always knew I wanted to go back to school. I didn't know if I would be – I thought I'd do something in media, technology. I've kind of always been obsessed with that. Thinking back to what got me into this, like my high school days, I was the one burning CDs and putting together clipping movies and doing all that stuff. I was one of the first to have a kind of a high-powered computer of, of my friends. So um, kind of always been obsessed with tech and, and, uh, and media and stuff like that. And I was good at data. Because my, uh, well, I think because my dad's an engineer and he was uh, kind of beat math into me. I was a pretty good math student. So I just kind of took all those loves and slapped them all together. Um, I ended up working with a startup called Second Spectrum out of grad school. Second Spectrum is a uh, another sports analytics uh, type company. They do all the tracking data in sports. So now um, every sport, uh, you know, every professional sport, is they essentially track their athletes. Um, you know, some people like to call that GPS, but with the, those other leagues, it's RFIDs off your pads or computer vision. It gets pretty high tech. My job was always to simplify it for fans and coaches and players, right? If you think about sport in general, it's about creating space. A James Harden step back, uh, Dave Anderson route, uh, Bradley Van Pelt uh, running, running someone over, uh, running a CU buff over on the way to his end zone. It's about creating space. And how well do you do that? That is a measure of your ability to, to essentially on the football field. And so um, we uh, help people use data to better analyze space. And when you think of it like that, we can analyze play pretty well. And so we were able to give teams back a good uh, resources and analysis of, of play. And then started doing that on my own. So that's what Breakaway Data's thesis is, is basically helping teams and athletes uh, and uh, media companies better understand and integrate data, right? The, uh, it's, it's gotten big with gambling and all that stuff now appearing on screens and um, you know, tracking data. And you see, you know, I think, what was it yesterday? Bryce Harper got thrown out of the games because uh, someone ran out of the base path and they showed the track that the guy ran. Like that's all the data stuff that we uh, work on. 
the goal is to always make it as seamless and hidden as possible because no one wants to sit here and talk about, you know, R squared and uh, deviations from the norm and bar charts. That, that's that's the boring stuff. But when you can do cool stuff in sports and broadcast, that's when it gets fun. That's really that's fascinating. I know your your company is pretty young. I mean, you, you just uh, then you just start. Right in the middle of COVID, best right time to start COVID, a company. Right? Yeah. Right. So, of are you, have you uh, you start working with any clients yet? Or are you still rolling? Yeah, we have out? a couple. We have a couple clients. Um, we uh, a couple that uh, knock on wood. Don't want to say anything yet. And in, in the collegiate uh, football space, uh, you know, our first client was basically the LA Dodgers, um, and uh, that's been going really well. We've been doing some teams in European football. The whole idea around this data and how it's used, data needs time. And so the more time you can give it, the more likely you are going to have good results. Um, and so you need development time. And the NFL, they don't develop players. They draft players. Uh, NBA is kind of similar. They do spend a little time developing. But college football, uh, Major League Baseball, and European football are the, are the three places where you really develop your athletes. So um, we're going after those three spaces um, soon. Hopefully soon we'll work with Colorado State. Maybe you guys can hook me up with a, a couple of people to talk to. I've been, been talk, trying to talk to everyone. It's not the easiest place to get into for an old Ram these days. You'd be surprised. Well, that's not good to hear. I, I was going to say you probably have a lot more pull in there than than we do. But uh, but that seems like a no brainer to to get in there and, and use your technology and and uh, to to help our football program get a little better. Um, I'd love to. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I got to get to know that just like I mentioned, been a little detached. I got to get to know the coaches and stuff like that. Otherwise I probably just look like some random accountant walking in there selling some, selling some data sizzle. <laughs> Us fans know better brother. Uh, so <laughs> I, I, I was looking, uh, I was looking at your LinkedIn, which was cool. And, and that's kind of how I got the background here on, on your new company. But uh, this, it looks like you really took advantage of this NFL business management and entrepreneur program um went to a yeah. couple different schools um while you were in the nfl and after the nfl and then you went on to get your mba from um usc the marshall school yeah. of business so um did you uh did you know that you wanted to always kind of start your own business i think i had i always had an interest um i uh had ideas and visions of stuff I wanted to do. I think the hardest thing a lot of times when you're a first time entrepreneur is to pick what lane to go in. You kind of like pick this broad topic to start off with because there's nothing super specific or at least there wasn't for me. Um, and so I wanted to go back to school, uh, you know, educate myself on what I should and shouldn't know. That was basically my whole purpose. And to think of it, you know, I did go to uh, a good college, but I, I, you know, anyone that says like, good old, what was it? Bradley Van Pelle, I major in football. It's kind of true. Uh, I majored in football. I wasn't putting together business, uh, business plans and writing formal emails and that stuff. So I, I, it took me a little while to get back in that group, especially in the NFL. They don't, they certainly don't teach that either. So uh, yeah, I went to those, those BME, they're called BME programs, business management and entrepreneurial did some of those and uh, really kind of, I loved it and was like, well, I'm gonna go back to school full time. So as I'm done. Good for you, man. So speaking of the NFL, um, you know, spending six years, six plus years in, in the league, uh, primarily, primarily for the Houston Texans, um, pretty darn good stint. Uh, when you look back, do you look back fondly? Do you, do you have any frustrations with, you know, kind of not getting a shot 
as much of a shot as you wanted to, especially with the Broncos where we, we were really hoping that would turn into something as it, with our, our local uh, childhood favorite team. Um, yeah. And, you know, we talked to, we talked to players, we've talked to players in, on this podcast in the past and, you know, they talk about how ruthless the side, the, the business side of the NFL can be. What was your experience? Um, you know, like I, you need a lot of luck. You need a lot of luck. And sometimes, uh, you're, some of it runs out. Some of it comes at the wrong time. Um, sometimes you're not ready for it. Uh, I will be the first to say I was not the most talented player at Colorado state. There was guys that were more athletic than I was. There was, there was guys that, uh, just ran into a little bit of unluckiness, right? They either got hurt at the wrong time or, or they didn't perform when the, under pressure in a, in a situation here or there. Um, and I did, and I, I'm not trying to take away from anything that I worked hard to get, but at the same time, I recognized that there, there was a little luck in, in that part of my career. Um, and then, you know, we were kind of at that period in the mountain West where we got a lot of love. Um, we're, we're still the Utah's the BYU's and um, th- th- that whole, the mountain West was a force kind of to be reckoned with. We were right on that kind of power five cusp. Um, the, um, the NFL career, I would say, yeah, you know, if, if I, w- I would be in, in vogue right now, short, white, wide receivers, everyone wants one of them. <laughs> uh, there, there wasn't that, uh, wasn't that fashionable back then. You know, there's uh, the Colts had uh, a, a slot receiver. Drew Brees had a slot receiver. Aaron Rodgers wasn't playing yet, so there was no slot receiver in Green Bay. Uh, Brett Favre was still running around with, you know, the thoroughbreds on the outside um and uh philip rivers was wasn't really getting going yet so like all those quarterbacks as they became veterans and started throwing the ball on first down and wanting three receivers on the first uh on first down um that's when my career was ending and unfortunately that's uh, so i kind of missed out a little bit there it would have been nice if, if there was one regret i had it's my uh i actually should have gone to the broncos sooner it, uh, I was signed as a restricted fee, free agent my third year. Uh, I was the only restricted uh, player signed that year. Um, and the Texans get to match. So the Broncos signed me right when they got uh, Josh McDaniel. Um, I would have been on that team. Uh, granted, we would have lost. And, and I would have been Josh McDaniel would have been fired. But I would have ended up, I would have been part of the West Coast, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Shanahan tree but also the Josh McDaniel, Bill Belichick family tree. And that would have really kind of exposed me to some interesting opportunities. I could have been maybe on the Patriots or maybe some of those other teams where all the Patriots uh, fellows go to. So I would say that, that that's where I missed out a little bit, but you know, yeah, there are tons of regrets and we always want, you always remember the bad plays, but six years isn't a bad run. So during your time in Houston, you played for Gary Kubiak who's the father of, of two of your former teammates. Um, you played with Dexter Wynn, you know, former Ram alumni, Dexter Wynn, Mike Russell, Joel Dreesen, uh, Jesse Nading, and Cecil Sapp. What was it like to have so many familiar faces in the locker room? And did that help with your adjustment uh, coming into the league? 100%. I think um, my career took a turn for the better when Joel Dreesen came. Uh, so Joel was on the jets and then got cut after his rookie year and was out of work my whole rookie year and then got brought to the Texans 
um, my second year. So what people don't know is that like Joel had a year off of football in the early part of his career. He had a great career, but he had this one gap year. Um, he came and quickly reminded me that like, this is nothing is given to you here. You better outwork everybody. Um, you know, because you finished your first year in the NFL and you feel pretty proud of yourself. You feel like, Oh, this is going to be great. You know, like, 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 like it's like college, like you're guaranteed or four years or something. And he was quick to say, like, I thought the same thing and I was cut the next year and I didn't play. Um, and so I think my, I started taking the game, um, a little more serious. I started paying more attention to, um, my particular reps and practice, uh, and, and certainly learned a lot from him about the off the field, the way to the best way to prepare yourself. I would say in terms of locker room, yeah, having some familiar faces in there certainly helps shortcut the, the locker room learning curve. Cause there are certainly in college, um, you walk in and everyone's the same age, interested in the same things, walking around campus, you see them all the time, but in the NFL, you know, Mark Bruner was my locker mate. He was, you know, 35 years old, had three kids. One was seven years old. I'm 22. And I'm like, I don't even know what that life is like. That's a, like, I don't, after practice, your world is completely different than mine. So you brought up Cecil a little bit earlier. Did he have that gold, uh, like late seventies boat? Cause he lived not too far from me in the tech center here in Denver. And I used to see him all the time. So I'm wondering if he brought that with him to Houston. He had the doo-doo brown with the peanut butter guts, actually. He yes, had the, yes. uh, the, the, the he had the brown on brown cutlass. Um, yes. That is a famous uh, – Cecil came roll, rolling up my – I think it was my junior year when he was signed with the Broncos. And I was like, brown on brown. He goes, you know, I, I can't do a Cecil impression, but don't you dare call it. That is uh, peanut butter – Peanut butter brown, uh, doo doo brown with the peanut butter guts. And I'm like, that is a fucking great description of that car. So I always laugh about peanut, uh, doo doo brown with the peanut butter guts. That's, that's car. awesome. Yeah, I used to see him all around the tech center back in the day. So that's that's classic. Yeah, Sap, Sap was Sap was another one of those guys, right? That like to me when my my freshman year so he was a senior he was he was an idol right like he was loved they always talked about how hard he worked and how amazing he was and he would do single-handedly dominate football games and then you know i saw him come to the texans and it was like the guy was a shell of himself because he had just been cut and passed around the league and he's gonna have to make or break it on special teams and i was like you know it's tough because everyone when you're when you're in high school you're the best player on the field by far if you're going to play in the NFL, you're typically the best player on the field by far, unless there's other NFL players on the field. Um, when you get to division one, you're probably still the best player on the field. Uh, if not one of the best in your career record breaker or your all conference or whatever you get to the NFL. That's all. That's all there is left. There's just record breakers and, and all Americans and hall of famers. Like that's all like that's, there's only 11 spots on the field. There's not a roster of a hundred of us on scholarship. You got 53 guys. You have 28 spots on offense. Basically it's just good luck. And so like, you're like, Oh, you mean this guy doesn't graduate in four years? Like, no, Andre Johnson's going to be here until he can't run. So he'll be here for 10 years. And it's like, and there's no extra scholarship spots that are going to open up. So like you quickly learn, like I better get in or fit in because it's uh there's, there's no other option. Nice. So before is like an everyday term 
Um, you went viral <laughs> when uh, you were playing with the Texans. You caught a touchdown, and for your celebration, you uh, broke into the Conan O'Brien <laughs> intro dance. Um, did you expect that kind of reaction that, that you got? And and what did and did Conan reach out to you about that? It's funny. I, that's like I always tell people that was a master plan of a lot of touchdowns that I was going to have in my career. The problem was not, I didn't have a, I had not a lot more touchdowns to to dilute that one uh, touchdown, but yeah, the, uh, I would say the, I was always a Conan O'Brien fan. Whenever I would kind of sneak away from my mom in high school, I was always watching Conan. I was a big fan of his kind of like vaudeville kind of sense of humor. Um, And he, I remember, I think he had like Donovan McNabb on when I was at CSU. And he's like, Don, it was like after Donovan won like MVP of the league or something like that, or they're about to go to the Super Bowl. And he was telling Donovan McNabb, Hey, after you throw a touchdown, you should do this dance. And Donovan's like, No, not a chance. And I was like, If I score in the NFL, I'm going to do the dance. And so that was my first touchdown. We were losing like 35 to seven. And so I was like, it's probably not a good time to dance. <laughs> and so I had to wait a whole nother year until so I scored another touchdown. Um, and then I did, I did it then. That was my second year. And yes, Conan's people did reach out to us, but because the game was on Sunday and they were going to try to get us on there Monday, I would have to fly out Monday and miss practice. And I, they said they can push it to Tuesday, but they're like, no, nah, no thanks. So I've, I need to revisit that because now he's retiring. I actually need, I need to get that. I need, I should get on Conan somehow. That would be great. I was the only player to ever do his dance. That's gotta be, that's gotta be something in the history right. books, right? That is, that's in the history books for sure. Yeah. And you, and you had it hilarious. down to a T. Oh, I had practiced it. I had practiced it. I had a bunch of different ones. You know, I did a lot of dancing in the preseason. <laughs> this, it doesn't, no one ever watches the preseason. I had a, I had a rock star, you know, when a rock, uh, when a rocker, he swings the microphone and kicks out and does his hair. I had one of those. It was really good. I had the elf dance from, uh, from elf when he does yeah. the, the Russian dance. I had one of those <laughs> ones that was really good. I had, um, I had like a, fr- a, a fake breakdown dance dance. It was pretty funny with Jacoby Jones. Yeah. We had a lot of them just, you know, no one watches the fourth game of preseason. So I don't even think it's on tape anymore. <laughs> Oh, that's good. You are always a class clown, man. <laughs> I didn't mind how, you know what? Like, I think it was important. It's kind of been a, a staple in my life. It was always been important for me to do something that I love and that I enjoy and that I have fun doing. Um, and like my way of showing fun was just like physically showing that I was having a good time. And a lot of that ends up being something that's a little more laughable. Uh, but like, yeah, I, the, the enjoyment that I had from playing football is, is it's, you know, I don't think that I'll ever, when you talk about regrets, you're like, man, I wish I would have enjoyed it a little more because it's uh it's, it's quick to go. I think I remember you speaking of having fun on the football field. I think I remember you and I, I my mem- I'm getting old and my memory is fading, but didn't you score a touchdown against Wyoming and pretend like you were holding the boot and you were like bobbling it a little bit as you scored it. And it is that, am I, is that right? Yeah, I did that. I did that because you couldn't do any, you couldn't do any dancing back then. You can do any. So like now they can, they'll give you like a little, but yeah, I scored it and like pretend that we were, cause they said that we dropped the boot or something. I forgot. You're right. And then the, before the, 
so they beat us and they stormed the field and they had the boot from my sophomore year. And then my junior year, we beat them. And I remember the clock hadn't run out yet. There was like four seconds and I go sprinting over there and their ROTC is like locked in arms. And I remember look, pointing at the clock like, like a third grader <laughs> and they all look and I jump over them because there's still like three seconds as I jump over them and grab it. Like I'm like fully horizontal <laughs> over the Wyoming ROTC and I just snatch it and like 10 teammates just barrel into me and we knock like all the ROTC guys out of the way and grab it. Like, I don't know if there's supposed to be some formal presentation of them handing it back over, but I was like, give us that stupid boot back. No, like, not, you any, not anymore. Everyone just goes and grabs it. Yeah. I was like, that's uh, I hate those guys. I still hate Wyoming. I still hate, I hate CU. I hate Wyoming. Air Force, I was indifferent about. Um, we we always had a good matchup with Utah. Remember those yeah. those those were. Remember we had a fort. We beat them uh, fourth down uh, on the yeah. one yard line. Five. Yeah. The we goal line ep- stand. The goal line. So we had some epic battles with Utah. Yeah. Epic. And then they somehow go on to the Pac-12, and we we Wait. falter. So yeah. Speaking of that, I mean, you look at Utah and what they've done with their path you know worked their way into the pac 12 and csu meanwhile hasn't won a conference championship since you were a freshman in 2002 you know i have have you and you said you haven't really kept close tabs on the program but are you surprised that csu hasn't had very much success since your playing days i mean we really haven't came come close to sniffing a league title since uh i guess you could say 2014 but are you surprised by that yeah. yeah. Yeah, I am. I am. Um, it's a easy place to recruit, in my opinion. If you can get a kid on campus, you'll get them there. It's such a beautiful place. Uh, the Mountain West, in terms of facilities in the Mountain West, when I was there, we were at the bottom of the league. Now they're easily at the top of the league. Um, I think they've gone – it seems like – you know I. I followed them from the, the Lubick to Fairchild transition. And then McElwain brought a, did a good job reaching back out to NFL alumni and getting us to come back again and kind of like talking and training on campus. So I remember training with Rashad Higgins and stuff like that as they were like, I think he was just like a sophomore junior. I can't remember, but we were like running routes and doing that whole stuff. That is the type of community that CSU needs to continue to filter is, is the old teaching the, the, the new and the, and the alumni coming back and not just like the old alumni that, you know, still think their era was the best of CSU football, but like guys that are playing in the league need to get back on campus. And, 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 and that's, those are your best recruits. Like, Hey, yes, you can come to Colorado state and get a free education, but you can also go to the NFL. Look at all these guys we have, right? Like it's a failure of CSU if they're not getting Higgins and Gallup and, uh, all those guys. I mean, that's uh, uh, what's the the other big tall receiver that played for Miami last year. Like, get all Preston, get all those guys on campus and just kind of like constantly give them stuff and have them wearing CSU gear out and about. And like, those are your best recruits. Um, and it seems like CSU shifted a little bit from recruiting West Coast to more of the South with McIlwain. And so that's why I kind of lost a little touch because no one was recruiting my area anymore. Right. When I was when I was uh, in high school, there was a lot of guys from Southern California going to Colorado State and stuff like that. We I don't I don't I don't I haven't seen a lot of SoCal guys going there lately. I know they got back to a little bit, 
Um, but that used to be a, a hotbed for Colorado State, and it's kind of gone away a little bit. Yeah, I, we, I hope that Adazio, I, I've seen a lot of good things out of him so far. It's, I don't had very minimal interaction with him in person as far as, you know, gauging him. But I think he's the type of guy that wants to tap into the pass. I hope that's the case. I hope they start bringing guys like you back into the fold and, and recognizing the, the heritage of our program. Um, I, I know that I, have you been to, you actually, you came to campus in 2017 for the hall of fame induction, right? So you got a chance to see the facilities. Oh yeah. That's yeah, the stadium. Uh, I mean, it's gorgeous. Uh, I got to see, um, the new, you know, the weight room and everything they have going in there. It's, 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 it's first class, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, if you get a high school kid on campus, it's just as good as, um, you know, power five schools in a lot of ways, better than some. Um, so you, you gotta, you gotta land them. And to be honest, like CSU always had an edge in recruiting with coach Lubick and the, and the, and the um, legacy that he brought, we were willing to be different. We were on Thursday night football when no one was, and then everyone was doing that. So like, how can they get back to that era where they're, they're willing to be a little different, willing to stand out? You know what I mean? That, that I think is a key to Colorado state. That's certainly what attracted me is like, you know, I remember Coach Zubik saying, hey, you can go to Northwestern and your friends will never see you play unless they fly to Chicago. Or you can come here and your friends will see you play every other Thursday. And I was like, hmm, right. that sounds like a good idea. On TV so, all the time. Yeah. So um, kind of want to talk about your playing days with CSU. And, and when I think back, I mean, man, you were part of some amazing Rocky Mountain showdowns. And unfortunately, three of them did not go well that first year, your, your freshman year, was a great, great win at, at the new uh, mile high Invesco stadium. Yep. Uh, but that 2003 game was probably one of the best college football games I've ever seen. And unfortunately yeah. we lost, you had 142 yards, a touchdown. Um, there was a lightning bolt. Um, yep. Joel Platt just uh, in, and Jeremy Bloom, I think it was uh, caught yep. a pass late in the game, but uh, what do you remember about that game? And then, and then subsequently you had, you know, two more games. You had to go to Boulder with a weird scheduling thing where you had to go to Boulder two years in a row after that. And those yeah. were just two crushing losses too, because they were uh, right at the buzzer. I think one of them might've even been overtime, but one was yep. the, the, the goal line game. So yep. what do you remember about those? They're all pretty depressing, to be honest. <laughs> um, yes, they were. The, the, my sophomore year, What's always tough about that game was the beginning of the year. And for us, it meant a little bit more than Colorado. So for them, it was a sense of relief uh, if they beat us. But for for us, it was relief and joy, right? In that like, hey, we're we're a good team here. We're beating, you know, at that time, a Big Ten team and then a Pac-12 team. Um, so, like, it really gave us a lot of um, uh, a lot of gas in our tank, you know, my freshman year after we beat them. Um, my sophomore year, what I remember is that game finally, the college football game finally kind of clicked in like kind of like that matrix type of thing where the game kind of slows down in a way. And that, you know, my freshman year, I was just running around and I was fast enough to where I could play the same speed of it as everybody else. But then my sophomore year, I remember it was a, it was a Packer route, which was basically a deep end 
And I, th- I thought to my snap, I thought, but so before the snap, I was like, okay, I know what coverage it is. And I was confident that I knew what coverage it was. And I take off running. And then I'm like, I'm going to stem him outside and I'm going to step him outside and he's going to move out there and I'm going to run in. I'm going to be wide open. And I'm going to catch it. And like, I'm going through this as I'm running the route and it happened just like I said it to myself. And like, I was like, Whoa, like that's the game had like slowed down at that point as then like, I knew it was going to happen before it happened. Um, and that was just kind of, I would say one of the kind of the cooler moments of my career where it was like, okay, now I'm going to go, I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go dominate college football was kind of my plan from there on out. Um, the game itself. Yeah, it was, it was a weird game. Cause we had to go back in cause that lightning bolt thing. Then we had to warm up again. I remember they were in those all whites. Uh, Jeremy Bloom had a catch over my good friend, Ben Stratton. Um, that was lucky as all can be. They still had a couple other plays that they made in order to get in field goal range and they kicked the field goal and win. Then yeah, the next year, the goal line stand, or maybe it was field goals. Again, we lose by, I mean, Mason Crosby, I used to see him in the NFL a couple of times. I told him I hate him. Like, I hate – I just hate Mason <laughs> Crosby. He ruined, he ruined, ruined my, ruined my uh, CU, CSU experience for, for three years running, I think. And then, yeah, then they beat us uh, on the goal line stand against Marcus Houston, which don't get me started on that one. You know, that was a frustra- – that was, that, was, that was as frustrating as losses I've ever been a part of. You know what's even you know what the worst part about that is if you have if you if they had review, I 100% guarantee I caught that ball in the end zone. I know Mike was that was gonna be my question. That was gonna be so where I was sitting, I was I was literally on the goal line when you caught that. I mean, it was straight in front of me, and so yeah, that my question was gonna be, did you score? And if they had replay like they had in 2005. Would it have been reversed? Touchdown, <laughs> touchdown, one hundred percent touchdown. I'm I'm positive because I remember getting my feet in and catching and bringing the ball back to cross the plane, right? Um, but in my head too, I was like, oh, I don't get to, I don't get to the touchdown. We're just gonna hand the ball off right here and, and end the game because I never, at that point, I never really seen anyone stop. What it was like three three downs in a row on the goal line. I was like, oh, we'll just run the ball to Marcus Houston, who has every reason in the world to run over everyone if you even if they don't block someone. And didn't didn't happen. Man, that was that was a gut punch. That day. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I I don't miss those games. I was at every single one of them, and and uh, that was that was brutal. Um so just what I mean, you beat Cal that year also. That was a good win. Um, hammered BYU on the road. I was there on the sidelines in that game. That was awesome. Anytime you can put it to to the Cougars and their fans, it's awesome. Uh, you beat Air Force that year. Um, I don't remember which game it was um, when you did that little uh, the the bronze boot fumbling thing when you scored, but you did beat them twice in a row. Um, when you look back, what were some of your best um, game memories, I guess? Yeah. Make sure I get the right. Can you guys hear me well? Yeah. Okay. I would say I had like a, my mom flew out with her friends on a Thursday night game against air force. I had over 200 yards. I think I had like, 14 catches or something absurd uh i remember coach Zubik saying do we have to throw the ball to him every play and justin holland be like well if he's open i'm gonna throw him the ball um so that was that was a pretty epic game i remember um beating utah 
um, still to this day, once again, wish they had a, some videotape of it. Cause I made a, I made a catch in the end zone where I'm pretty positive. I have my feet down and I reached, I reached back like this guy was getting tackled by Eric Weddle and I caught the ball behind my head and my neck like this and then rolled over it. And I remember the ref looking at me with like wide eyes and he's like touchdown and Eric looking up at me and going, no way, no way. And we, we would talk about that when we were in the NFL. Uh, Cause you know, he, he played, he had an epic career uh, with the chargers and the Ravens. And we, every now and then I'd see him and, be, and we'd, we'd reference that play. Um, I'd say, you know what, like you, re- you, you tend to remember plays or times in the huddle a little more than full games. You know what I mean? I remember like my senior year, be getting pretty sad. Our last home game uh, at Hughes, um, uh, lining up next to my good friends, Matt Bartz, Mike Brizel, and uh, whatnot. You want to see, here's my family. It's my boy. There's the next generation room. Hi. Right there. <laughs> Good to meet you guys. How old is that's, he? That's Vigo. He's one and a half. One and a half? So yeah. is that who do you have? Is that your only child? No, and then I have another one watching PBS over there. <laughs> I had to charge the phone that's with awesome. Don on me, so I had to come back up here and charge. So you got a little you got a little visitor, everybody. That's fine. Um, and then here's the dog. Hi, everyone. Hello. <laughs> Puppy. Tug, French Bulldog. Um <laughs> I'll tell you, you, you tend to remember those more than, more than anything else. Just the times in the huddle, you know, uh, I always laugh. I had a pretty funny story the other day talking about when we, uh, you know, I live out here in Manhattan beach. It's a pretty big SC contingency and I see liner all the time. I play with him in Houston and he every now and then reminds me of putting it on us 49 to zero at the Coliseum. Uh, I remember we were 42 point underdogs and I told everyone in the world, there's no chance we're losing by 40, more than 42. So you can send a, uh, IOU to, uh, to Houston, to, to, to from McGraw center. If you want some <laughs> payback, maybe I'll get to that one of these days, but yeah, that was, I, I would say, you know, you're the good and the bad. You remember all those things. And, uh, it, all it takes is a, is a smell of an old, elevator that smelled like uh you know the whatever the place that we stayed at you know usc or a song that you played before pregame or or quote a sunny lubric quote like you got in the background that reminds you of a couple of those moments yeah so how about off that, bar? where was your favorite bar what was your favorite yeah. bar in fort collins lucky joe's yeah there you go. I'm going to die day till I die. Lucky Joe's guy. Still, that's still my favorite bar. Can't go wrong with Lucky Joe's, man. Those guys are great. <laughs> it's a great place. Oh, yeah. Peanuts on the ground. We always used to we used to just hover over that. As soon as you walk in, there's that barrel right there on the right. There's a little table yeah. barrel. That was our spot. We would hover over anyone who was sitting there until they moved normally forcibly or obnoxiously making them move was our, was our uh, style. But, yeah, that was Lucky Joe's my spot. Did you ever part party with Bradley? Yeah. What was that like? Got to hear something. I was like varsity blues is what that was like. It was like out of a movie. <laughs> I got, I got one story. So I'm a school teacher and, uh, and my teacher for students went to CSU and they got home from the bars, and someone was passed out in their front lawn. They're like, what the heck's going on? It was Bradley. And so they carried him and put him on the couch, and the next morning he woke up and was like, 
Awesome. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you later. He <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's never uh, – I think I learned from Brad, Bradley that, like, there's no reason to feel awkward ever. He he never met a person or a situation that he was uncomfortable with. He he'd, he'd make it he'd make it happen or make it do. He was uh, as good as it gets when it comes to that stuff. Get back on the headset here. Charged up a little. So he he was one of our first guests that we ever had on. And when we oh yes, and he he was he was awesome. He I mean he's everyone's one of their favorite players, right? But. Um, you know, he was your quarterback for a couple of years or uh, at least, uh, yeah, a couple of years. And um, you also had Justin Holland. Bradley probably couldn't make half the throws that Justin could. But, you know, the guy just had every other trait in the world that made him one hell of a player. And, you know, as a wide receiver, what what were the differences between catching balls from those two? You had you had uh, and, and I know. Bradley missed a lot of 2003 because of an injured hand and Justin played a lot that year, but yeah, you know, going from righty to lefty, Justin put a little more zip on the ball and, and Mike, I mean, this is a different question, but Mike reminded me off the air that, that you also played with Caleb Haney uh, who yeah. spent a good career in the NFL as well. So yeah, um, not a bad group of uh, quarterbacks you've had to get you the ball in college. Not at all. Yeah. Uh, I got good stories about all of them. So Bradley was a football player who played quarterback. Justin Holland was a quarterback who couldn't play anything else and any other position on the football field. And Caleb was right in between both. Um, so Bradley would often, what I think I love about him as a quarterback was he would just change the play. Like the coaches would run it. That was back in the day when he had to run in the play. So the receiver would stand next to the offense coordinator and then they would run it in. They didn't have all the signs and stuff that they do now. We didn't have stuff on the, on the wrist. So we'd run it in and Bradley would just shake his head and go, nope. And he'd call a different play. And he knew that he had to make it work if he called a different play. So if that, that was be a, those were a lot of his scrambles or his scramble to a big play. So you knew if he said no, it's gonna, he's going for gold. And so if he's scrambling around, expect to get open and get the ball thrown to you. So there's some <laughs> my daughter just yelled at me to go in a different room. Hold on. <laughs> I gotta listen to the boss. Let me put my headset back on. Don't interrupt her P- she's watching PBS, man. Don't watch don't yeah, can't, can't can't disrupt Pink Alicious. God forbid <laughs> miss an episode of that. Um so Bradley would change the play and you knew that like something fun was going to happen, right? You were going to score a touchdown. There's going to be a 50 yard run or like, you're going to get to, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, clock someone downfield. Justin Holland would drop back and give you the ball. I mean, it wasn't, if anything, it was coming out early cause he didn't want to get hit. So like you could adjust your routes a little bit for Justin and that like you can even cut him a little short and get your head around. Cause the ball's coming with zip. It's coming on time. And it's coming in typically in a place where you can make a play. Like he, he, he was getting to the point in his senior year where he could put it in, not just throw it to you, but put it in places that allow you to make a play. Right. If there's a guy behind you, he put it in front of you. If there's a guy in front of you, he puts light behind you. Guy low, he put it high, high, he put it low. He, he, he would, he would get to some spots where he, he can do that, which is pretty special. Um, Caleb, I only got to play a couple snaps with him, but I'll never forget. We we're playing San Diego state. Uh, we're playing, uh, at Qualcomm and Justin hurts his gets like knocked out for a couple plays. And the first play, Caleb has a run play. And so he runs the run play. And then the next play they call, 
they call basically like a smash concept. So like a, a hitch with a corner over the top and I'm running the corner and Caleb looks at me and I was like, just throw the ball. To me. He's like, what? I was like, don't, it doesn't matter. Just throw it up there. I'll go get it. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah, <laughs> it was the complete wrong coverage. He drops back and just throws me the, throws the ball. I was like, well, I called for it. I better go get it. So like, I like kind of swam, moved one guy and then ran, jumped up, caught it and ran for like 15 yards. And the coaches were all like, good job, I guess. you like, you threw the ball <laughs> to the wrong person. <laughs> and, he, and then I'm like, I told him to throw, to throw it to me, coach. We did all right. And he's like, all right, whatever. And then we move on, right? Like, those, like those when you talk about memories of stuff, like, that's what I remember. Yeah. Right? Caleb probably remembers a completely different story where he read the defense and it was a perfect pass and, like, something <laughs> like that. But I'll be there. No, that's not true. Uh, that's, that's so good. It, did that team, I guess, in 2002, 2003, did they have more talent or was it, BVP kind of helping put the team on his shoulders a little bit and willing the, the program to wins or, or was there actual a little bit of a decline there in your, in your last couple of years? We had talent, but we also had depth. So we had, we had uh, old, old, older players, but younger players like myself that were the next generation of guys that were in the right positions. Um, right. Like we definitely had, the Brian Saves, we had uh, the Pears brothers, and we had Cecil Sapp. We had uh, we had good tight end. We had Joel as a tight end. We had Bradley. Uh, Chris Pittman was a good receiver. Joey Capari was a pretty good receiver. Um, we had good players at every level on defense. Like I mentioned, uh, Save. We had Adam Wade, who's a pretty uh, good uh, linebacker, and Drew Wood was a really good senior linebacker. And then we had Dexter, Rhett Nelson, some other guys that could run and play defense. So we had all of your core players. Dexter was also a really good punt and kick returner. So we had everything covered. And then if you got hurt, I could sub in a punt return or kick return. I was there for, like, if Pittman went down, right? So we had guys that fill in. As I went up to my junior and senior year, if we weren't healthy, like we lost Ben Stratton, Ben Stratton in spring ball. I was like, we're screwed. Uh, Cause we didn't have like a nickel player. Um, we, Adam, uh, you guys don't remember him, but um, no, I just totally spaced out on his name too. Um, Adam something to my transferred Adam. Uh, what the heck was his name? Yeah. Wade transferred to chat. Yeah. No, Adam transferred to Portland state. When played in the NFL yeah, he for played in the NFL for a while. Yeah, I totally forgot. He's my roommate. That's how bad my, my memory is now. Um uh the we didn't have really Hayward. Any, Adam Hayward. Adam Hayward. Yeah. Adam Hayward. There we go. Uh Adam Hayward. We had Brandon Cathy, who's pretty pretty good corner. We didn't really have a lot, of, like we just didn't have a lot of young depth helping us out. And I think that's what ended up getting us getting us hurt uh, there. And I don't know what it was. Um Certainly, the easy answer is we were a little more talented when we were older and when we won. I think Colorado State was probably a little bit tougher of a place to play back then. Uh, like, we were, it was jam-packed Thursday night football. We'd make teams nervous. That doesn't really exist anymore. Um, so, it, I mean, it's, 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 uh, it, it's, not, it's never far from being an absolute gem and a hard place to play and a – and they are one good recruiting class away from a 10 and one team. Yeah. So when you, when you arrived, uh, Steve Repstock had just finished his, a pretty stellar career at CSU. 
and he wore the number four. Did you ask to wear number four, or was it just given to you? It was given to me. I, I wore one in high school, um, and they're like, hey, we just had a guy leave that was number four. So at that time, I don't think one was available. Uh, and, yeah, because Brandon Cathy wanted one, and they gave him one. He was in my same class. Um, two was taken. So it was three. And I think four was available. Seven was available, which I didn't like. And then the eighties. And I was like, I'll take number four. And it just so happened that it was Pete Rebstock. And so I don't think a lot of the teams thought that guy graduated for 10 years. <laughs> right. How's he still, how's he still playing? How many red shirts did he get? <laughs> right. On that Marcus Houston protocol, he had to play six seasons. <laughs> right. He did. <laughs> All right, so I know you're. I know you're itching to give us a Sonny Lubick impression. So, you know, guys, I gotta tell you a little story. I was uh, went out to recruit some some little some bitch out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Been, been trying to recruit him for three years since his sophomore year of high school. I bring Coach Mick Delaney out there. We're out there recruiting him. I, I, I go to talk to his dad. I tell him how great of a son he has. And, he says, uh, okay, I need you, to, need you to do me a favor. I need you to do me a favor. We love our poor horse. Can you go out there? Can you, can you put that horse down for us? We just don't have the guts to us. If you put our horse down for us, we'll, we'll, we'll send our son to Colorado State. So I walk back into the car. Hell, get Coach Delaney. We, I got a shotgun in the car. Coach Delaney says, what the hell is going on? I grab that shotgun. I say, that son of a bitch isn't going to come to Colorado State, and I shoot the horse. And before I can turn around, Mick Delaney shoots the dog and shoots the cow, too. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That is amazing. That's, you know, he, told, you know, he, he told us that story before, I think, a big a big practice on a Friday or something. And he's he like, all right, go have a good that practice. story, Dave. He's, I heard him <laughs> tell it at multiple events. That is such a good one. And I, I had actually forgotten it until you, you retold it. That is so good. I just fucking cry laughing with that. He always tell, or always tells He used to tell this Carol Joe story where he got his credit card stolen. And it was cheaper for the robbers to have the credit card instead of giving it to Carol Joe. I was like, that's, that's pretty classic. So, oh, well, bro, I, this has been so good. Um, by the way, you absolutely. Make, you make me feel really bad about myself. You don't appear to have suffered the COVID 25. I got fat during this quarantine. I don't know what your secret is. I probably work out, but um, yeah, you, you're looking good. Well, I still got in and out in my life, uh, if that means anything to you. So I'll, uh, but I, in my, uh, my wife's an actress, so they, uh, they keep you skinny because can't, you know, can't, they right. can't gain weight. They can't gain weight, so I got to keep up with her. So right. that's uh, that's helpful. So, so you know, Joel and I have an in and out about five minutes from our house now. So, uh, just so know. you know, Mike, um, on, I guess this was Sunday night. I sent my daughter to go pick us up in and out. The line was like an hour long. So I still have not eaten at In-N-Out here in Colorado. It's ridiculous. All right. Good. So I think I know your answer for this, but since you were in Houston for so long, you had to have had a Whataburger when you were there, right? Uh, I think, you know what, like, that's Which never really... Which better? I think an In-N-Out burger is better. I understand. 
sentimental value more than just the burger. So like, and the truth is like when people ask me about best burgers, I was like, you have to put a cap, like, don't forget an in-out burger is less than $5. So like, if like, do you like in and out over Whataburger? That's a good question. Cause the real question is what is your favorite under $5 burger? And mine would be in and out. All right. That's a great answer. Great answer. Um, all right. Last thing. So man, I, I you, you also spent like a, a short stint with the CSU radio network. That was, I remember that was, that was good. You had a knack for it. You were funny. Good to listen to you. Um, what do you remember about that? And were you with, um, were you with uh, Rich Berkhamshaw? No, I was with, uh, I was with uh, Kevin, Kevin and McGlue. Kevin McGlue, who's still, I think he still does the Eagles games. Right. Yeah. And uh, that was the year they brought in um, the guy from the channel seven news, Gary Miller. No, it wasn't Gary Miller. Jerry Schummel. Nope. Brian, oh, we've gone through it. Brian Roth. So he's our guy now. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe I got Brian. I think Brian was first year. Yeah. What I, what I remember is I remember them asking me, why aren't we beating Utah State? And I said, uh, because we aren't as good as we used to be. And the athletic director came up to me after the game and said, we don't say that about Colorado State. And I was like, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's when you pulled the ripcord. And, and that's when I was like, well, then maybe the radio is not for me. I thought I could tell. I thought I could tell the truth here. Apparently, the truth does not set you free. The truth gets you fired. <laughs> well, man, you were you were good, and and uh, you can come back on with us anytime. In fact, I'll kick Mike out in a heartbeat if you want to be my co-host going forward. So I uh, appreciate it, bro. Thanks, man. Before we go, just a reminder that the Cash Restaurant is now open at Ginger and Baker. Stop in for hand-cut Colorado steaks, chops, killer sides, fine wine, and top shelf whiskey. Don't forget to order the banana cream pie, which is one of my favorites. They've also got the cafe, the bakery, the teaching kitchen, the rooftop open. Every single one of those spots in that in that facility is spectacular. Ginger Graham has got a great thing going on there at Ginger and Baker. Stop on into my favorite restaurant, all of Fort Collins, and support Ginger and Baker. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Michael. Very special thanks to David Anderson for joining us. That was fantastic. Have a great rest of the week, and go Rams.